This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Change the Subject, a partnership between Bicurian and futurist Chet Sisk. On this episode, we spoke with Chet about his experience with COVID-19 and how he sees this pandemic affecting our world. Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Aisla. And together we are the hosts of the Bicurian Podcast. Bicurian is our answer to the polarizing culture we live in. Tired of feeling under siege and looking for ways to get involved? Then come be a part of a different way of thinking. Everything from politics to geek culture to current events that polarize us as a society, we explore multiple ways of looking at things. Welcome to the show. We are really excited to have futurist Chet Sisk with us here for Change the Subject, one of our special projects. Chet, welcome back. Thank you. It is a pleasure and an honor to be with you all. And uh, again, as we are now saying, almost it's a regular greeting when we talk to people over video or phone, stay safe um, and uh, take care of your family as always. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we had actually scheduled one of these almost a month ago. And mm. we're just getting yeah. to it. And Chet, maybe you can uh, let everybody know what uh, what you were up to and why we had to push everything. Absolutely. Uh, I, I caught the COVID bug. Um, it was an interesting experience. I um, just performed a uh, an event, uh, performed an event. I spoke at an event about the future and about how uh, people, particularly municipalities, can navigate some of the major changes coming up. And the day that I got home, uh, my wife said, oh, you know, are you okay? And I said, I just want to rest. And I was cool for a few days. And then, bam, it hit me just like that. And uh, I, I became tired. I started running a fever. I never had the coughs or anything uh, other than... Oh, lucky you. you know, yeah, right. Exactly. The milder version of it. But it just seemed to drag on forever. And that was a really challenging experience because we're used to catching like the cold or a flu. And and then, you know, you take the medicine and you kind of have an expectation about when this will end. Yeah. That is not the case with coronavirus. There is no time limit. It can go for a couple of weeks like it did me, 10 to 14 days. Or I could go even longer, as we were talking earlier. Yeah. Well, so do you have any like things that you felt were super helpful, as in terms of just relief, or or is it still all guesswork? <laughs> is there anything that you, you experienced know, as being genuinely helpful? Yeah. Well, let me just say, I I think my wife is a magician. I think she does all kinds of things. Uh, she works herbs and roots and and all kinds of things because she. Did some magic around steaming, making sure that I stayed steamed. She, she, um, you know, we're both Buddhists, so uh, she was chanting over me. Uh, we uh, also spent uh, time just drinking a lot. She said, "Hey, stay on this water." And so she was handing me glasses of water. Almost, uh, it seemed like it was every other minute, but it was just—it was one of the things that was necessary. I'd say that that kept the, maybe my conditions mild, mm-hmm. uh, more mild than others, but definitely worked for me. I just slept a lot. Yeah. I, I have a lot of respect for traditional medicine. I, I feel like what you're saying, you know, as modern people, we have this attachment to 
chemical medicine, if you will. And, and it has its place a hundred percent. And I do believe that there are other things that can benefit us. And I wouldn't go so far as to try and make any medical recommendations. And at the same time, I think someone who understands herbs and that kind of stuff can make a difference in your body's ability to rally. Yes. Yes. There is, there is, I I've always said this. In fact, that was the name of my presentation out in Bahrain. I came back from the middle East back from February but the name of that presentation was, um, you know, the marriage between traditional wisdom, modern technology, and visionary leadership. What where we miss the ball is primarily well on two areas. We don't have the visionary leadership that's necessary in order to see forward and to see our way forward. So we just kind of drift into the wilderness, and then we we've, we've scorned uh, traditional wisdom, uh, indigenous wisdom. We just look back. We there's this thing that goes on in Western culture to say that nothing else is better than us. Mm-hmm. So when it, when it thinks like that, it has to demonize anything before it in order for it to be better. It's like the bully in the, on the playground, right? It has to go out and say, uh, those other people, uh, I'm better than you and I'll beat you up to show that I'm better than you. And so that's the only way that it feels good about itself is to make other things feel small. Yeah. And to me, that's what what Western uh, culture has done to indigenous wisdom at our peril, might I add, because all of those things that we could have picked up along the way and maybe integrated more effectively into our society, we left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. And now people are saying, oh, we need to go back. So they call it new age and all of that, but really it's old age. It's stuff but that doesn't that sound as back. good. <laughs> We're anti-old <laughs> no, age, I think, in this culture. <laughs> I, I'm a, yeah, I'm an old age practitioner. Well, yeah. Right. Uh, I yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Not so much. Eric had a question, and I want him to ask it because uh, I thought it was a great question for you. Well, mm-hmm. and I, you know, we've been we've been doing this is uh, only our second episode in the series, but you've been on the show several times, and. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully at this point our listeners are familiar with what you do for a living, which is to yes. be a futurist. And yes. I fully admit one of the first things that popped into my head is, did you see this one coming? <laughs> Everybody asks me that, you know, and rightfully so, because the the, the idea of the futurist is that they have, uh, or I should say the consumer level concept of the, of the futurist that they look into a crystal ball and say, ah, I predict like Nostradamus, uh, we are not that. We're more like, uh, the job of a futurist really is to, what I like to say is describe the, the environment of the future and, and be able to say, these are the potentials. I, I, I keep saying this and I've said it in my books and in some of my other presentations. Uh, the future are, is based around a series of decisions. We make decisions and we have an opportunity to, to change that decision. So a futurist job is to say, this is the de- decision that you've made. This is what probably, or is a good probability of what will happen based around that decision. Uh, no one necessarily saw the decision, if you will, of COVID, except I could have did a better job of saying, we should have been prepared for this. But at the same time, I have done several presentations about uh, how climate crisis was going to be a problem for us simply because we, here in the United States in particular, are ill-prepared for the kinds of challenges that would come. 
same thing though. These are we're talking about the same kinds of crisis, uh, where you have uh, working people uh, all of a sudden finding themselves displaced and you know out of a job in these really difficult places because we haven't provided a kind of of, of way that so that they can manage these levels of crisis. So we saw that coming in in the sense of crisis in relationship to climate crisis. Uh, but COVID was like a sneak attack, as it were. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I fully admit I'm asking that somewhat tongue in cheek. I, I can truly <laughs> say I don't think anybody really predicted this. Obviously not federal, state governments. Um, the the yeah. only place where I've seen that anybody was even remotely predicting something like this were people who were writing white papers on what the SARS type coronaviruses were doing. Yes. Netflix yes. predicted this. Netflix released a six episode i think it was docu-series on the possibility of a pandemic in january sure. and, and it was sure. it was this scenario well, only, only not reason, this bad the, the only reason it looks predictive was because of the timing of it I mean, they'd been working on it for a while and wow. and again i mean i'll fully admit that for me just kind of taking a step back and looking at it like the mm -hmm. world was woefully unprepared for this the only places that were ready to go were places mm -hmm. that dealt with SARS, and we're talking orders yeah. of magnitude. Fewer people got yeah. sick with SARS or even MERS after that. You know, they yeah. were still in a panic because 8,000 people got sick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was some preparation being done under the Obama administration around H1N1. And so most, most people have probably already seen the YouTube clip from um, Barack Obama talking about we've got to put together a team to be uh, prepared for this. This is back in 2015. And he kept saying, we've got to get get in front of this. And it was he detailed almost exactly what is happening now. Yeah. Well, but, and but, so there was some prep, there was yeah. some insight into this. But more than anything, I, I don't want us to lose sight of one thing that in particular, as I said, those of us who are dealing with climate crisis recognize that the the public is generally unprepared for large scale levels of crisis. And that's why we we talk about climate crisis, because we know that the same thing would happen all, all over again uh, under those circumstances. Yeah. So one of the questions that came up for me when we were talking about getting together tonight was, and just to reassure our listeners, virtually getting together, we are, are all practicing yeah. safe social distancing. <laughs> we do not want to encourage anyone to we make risky choices. <laughs> yes. But but in this in this virtual and connective way, um, getting together. I thought of you a lot, actually, as I was watching all of these or reading all these different news articles about the ways in which the climate has been positively affected by yes. this uh, global pause. And mm. I'm curious as to your take on on that in, in multiple ways. Is it is that likely to help maybe shave some or add some years to our time to mitigate? Do you do you think there'll be an impact in people's behavior it, seeing what life can be like with cleaner water yeah. and more breathable air as a sure. you know person who studied this in extensive ways? Yes, yes. I, I, I will say this, that the short-term gain that we have if we go back to life as we knew it uh, will be uh, immediately erased uh, because of the level of of contaminants that are out there and how much we tend to increase almost every year. Can you believe it? We're still increasing our CO2 emissions at this particular point in time. However, here's the thing. Here's where I have hope. The, this, 
it, it, it's a wonderful thing to see the level of CO2 emissions diminish and the, just general pollution all the way around the water, the air, all of these things. It's great. And I, and I, we can get into this even tonight, but we are not going back to the way that we were. No, it's not happening. There's, to, there's no way it's happening. You're setting up no. my next question for you because I, <laughs> yeah. I'm assuming that you <laughs> have probably that. revised some of your thought processes on these things. Absolutely. And here's the, here's the thing. So if we're not going back to that, it, it, it provides a promise definitely for the whole aspect of how we deal with climate change. It could slow things down dramatically and then give us a chance to really kind of sit there and talk about what we need to do next. It may have, if we do not go back to where we were going, uh, it, yes, we have bought some time. We have now uh, tripped or, or slipped into a pause mode. And so that's a good thing. But there are people who definitely want to run back to status quo, back into that. And then we, again, we will wipe out the, the gains that we've made during this period of time. But I, I don't think that, I don't see how that can happen. The basic infrastructure of almost everything around us is changing. Yeah. Well, so of, before we dive into any kind of longer term ideas that you may have, maybe you can talk about some of the immediate shifts you may have noticed. I, I realize you might not have been reading all of the news while you were uh, taking it easy, but uh, based on what you have seen, what, what have you noticed? Well, definitely the the uh, the decrease in CO2 emissions. That came ringing across my desk all, all over the place when people were like, oh my gosh, look at this. And everybody was saying, we're actually seeing something. It, You know what, what a lot of people were saying, some of my colleagues were saying, is that this feels like the earth kind of creating something. Although, you know, I have some some questions about where it came from, where the, the virus came from. I don't want to get into necessarily the conspiracy theories, but I will say that this was probably an interesting time for COVID to happen in how it has given us the opportunity to pause in the race to the bottom that climate change has been and give us a chance to, to stop and say, wow, this is what can happen if we change our lifestyle if we change the way that we do. Now, we don't want to put everybody in quarantine, obviously. That's, that's, that would be untenable in, a, in any circumstance, under any circumstance. But we at least have a glimpse of what could happen if we changed modern life as we know it. And we never would get to this under any other circumstances other than a global pandemic, unfortunately. And I'm not making light of the lives that have been lost and will be lost, but it seems to me that there is an opportunity for us in the middle of this to stop and ask the significant question, what just happened? How has it affected life on earth? What does it mean for our future? And not just economically, but just the whole aspect of climate crisis. Right. Well, and I will say that like the lives the, the loss that we're going through, if we can actually take this and use it to create something better, might prevent a different level of loss of life. And for me, yes. there's also the reality that a lot of the things that we're doing, like more teleworking, mm -hmm. or um, and which, of course, reduces the impact of driving, also allows for people to spend more time with their families. It gives them yeah. a, 
a more fulfilling quality of life. And I, and I know maybe for some people that isn't a bonus and there's obviously people who are not mm-hmm. necessarily in safe situations. Mm-hmm. And many of the parents that I know are, you know, occasionally struggling with having to be a teacher when that wasn't their first plan for their life, but are genuinely mm-hmm. appreciating the opportunity to get more of that default quality time with their children, yeah. to not feel like they're yeah. constantly rushing you know, they have time to make dinner because they can pause during the work day, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. How about that? And so I'm, <laughs> really? I'm really hopeful that it will lead to a lot of people putting their foot down and saying, you know, I can do my job here. Yeah. And not only yes. does it affect climate change, it affects families and quality of life and expenses. Yes. It's cheaper to work from home in a lot of ways. Like, I don't know. I just I'm in that way. I'm like, that could be such a positive thing for so many. And some people cannot work from home, but those that can make a big difference. Yeah, yeah it, it, it really does present a lot of opportunity. And I want to emphasize this. That means there's a choice that needs to be made about these developments. The great challenge that we have, of course, is that we've built an entire infrastructure around life as it was. So now you're talking about the displacement of all kinds of people all across the board. Uh, and those of you who are working mid-level managerial gigs and believing that this is primarily focused on uh, working class folk, uh, you haven't seen the second wave yet or the fullness of the second wave yet. Because once, once the system is disrupted, it's so integrated that all parts of the system will be disrupted. I think that there's, my, my concern was that there was an illusion out there from some who thought that because they had a few dollars in the bank that somehow this would not affect them, the loss of almost 20 million jobs. And, 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 and then, of course, the businesses surrounding all of those people and all of the businesses shut down, it will affect everyone. So we have to now get into the place of taking exactly what you said to take the, the good part of this, that how it's brought us closer together how I, I can truly say that I can deeply appreciate uh, the whole lockdown because I had more time to spend with my wife. Yeah. So, I, I mean, we've deepened our relationship even further. So uh, we can take the good parts of this and then we can say, how do we build an economy that furthers this particular opportunity? Yeah. So now that we've seen it, because I don't think that people could even visualize an economy excuse me, a, a lifestyle outside of what we've been doing. We couldn't envision it. We, it was just too far away from us. But now we, are, we have a chance to envision it in real time because we're living it out. So that's a good thing. That's the good thing. But now we have to get to the next phase and say, how do we build the infrastructure that supports this now that we know of the pluses that it's provided? of family time, of less people not being stressed out because of the crazy commutes? Um, you know, telemeetings and and telework and all the things that we said that we would eventually get to at some time, but we were dragging our heels to get to. Now it's been forced upon us, but we have to now build the infrastructure around what that looks like, or there will be a lot of people continually out of work. Yeah, that's so. Uh, the episodes leading up to this, I've said it a few times, and I'm I'm I'll, I'll say it again for your benefit to comment on. I've mm. been genuinely impressed, I think, at how well we've actually handled this as a as a species. 
<laughs> like it is a massive shift. People are all in different places, and for the most part, yeah. um, even people that are short and stressed and 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 feeling all of that, uh, I feel like they've done pretty well. So I'm hoping that that can continue. Um, yes, it can continue, but we we don't want to press that. We don't want to press our luck on this. If you have a bunch of hungry people out of work with nothing to do on, on their time and not a vision of what the future could bring, we'll be testing or pushing that envelope further than it needs to be uh, pushed. So we really have to act on this fairly quickly. And we really have to start to think about who are we electing to kind of help guide this. And this is not just a political direction for us. We have to gather the social community, the activist community, the business community and say, we need to rethink all of this. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we're going to try the I think the default is that we're going to try to go back and recreate that which we lost. I, I'm almost I can tell you right now it's already taken place. People are saying, OK, we need to go back and do this. But I assure you, that's a fool's errand yeah. because that yeah. that ship has sailed. And a lot of people may not know that, but it, it has uh, because I, I can tell you this right now, already talking to some business leaders, they're sitting back and going, you know, it's cheaper to do this, to do the telework or the contract stuff from time to time online than how I had it before. Yep. They're already doing their mitigation. They're already working out the math on how it may be cheaper to do it in this new world than, in the, than to go back to the old world. It's just too hard. It's a, it's a tough leap to go back and start to uh, pay that. And, and, and even more, the idea that um, business will return to the level that it was right before the COVID virus, um, that's a fantasy. It's not going to go back to that. Uh, there will be some people you know, that will venture out and, and seek their ways out and go out and hang out in different uh social settings, restaurants and such, but not nearly at the level of what happened before. And here's the other part too. We've gotten used to this. We, after two months of quarantine, lockdown, whatever you want to call it, we get used to this. And then we start saying to ourselves, you know, I'll, I'm going to petition my boss. Even when the, the company starts back, I'm going to go petition my boss and say, you know, I kind of like working from home. And I am willing, some already are saying this, I'm willing to even take a pay cut in order to keep this experience because I don't have to commute. Yeah. And I don't have to deal with office politics. Yep. And I get more time with my family and all of those things. So the, the again, the world really has changed. And those who are seeking to, to recreate that which was right before this, they're, they're misguided. Yeah. And, that's, and that's being kind. So I want to say something that might be kind of controversial, maybe not to you, uh, <laughs> which is that in some ways I look at this as sort of our um, undiscovered country. You know, that, mm. that we have, yes, uh, there are a lot of things that have, that are gone that we don't even know are gone yet, right? Like we're going to have to grieve, we have to go through that grieving process. Those people mm -hmm. who are going wanting to go back, they're in that, that denial stage of grief. They're going to have mm -hmm. to see some evidence to kind of accept it. There are yep. some companies, some like the internet hosting, teleconference, so what medical companies, those companies are going to see a boom, right? And then yep. we're going to see a whole new series of industries, I think, 
new mm-hmm. ways to address the the new needs of our communities and and I think it's a it, as much as there's just all of this fear and uncertainty and I completely relate to that I also mm-hmm. feel like there's a lot of opportunity for creativity and innovation like people can see these needs and find ways mm-hmm. to jump on serving them that could mm-hmm. could be a both an economic boon but also mm-hmm. a lifestyle boon to say we want to secure these lifestyle opportunities mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. less pollution, more time, higher level mm-hmm. of quality of life rather than fast, busy world that's constantly stressing us out. Well, and, and before yeah. you comment, Chet, I actually saw an article, and I'm sure we can find this to post, um, about something that people are starting to call Generation V for virtual. There's an entire uh, uh, cottage industry expected to start cropping up with entrepreneurs that are addressing a new virtual world. Absolutely. And they're going to solve problems that we didn't necessarily have before, but we have now. Absolutely. And even if a light switch flicked in a month or three or a year from now and everything was available mm-hmm. to be back to normal, there mm-hmm. is a whole shift happening that people are starting to acknowledge. Absolutely. In one yeah. month, two months, really, of lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me just say this. What Elisa was, was talking about really is the Green New Deal. All of the work around uh, climate change, at least the real progressive, the more uh, expanded work around climate change was that how can we build uh, build out a society that does enrich relationships, that doesn't have people commuting back and forth so that it causes CO2 emissions. How do we create that? And they were laying out some pretty broad and general kinds of ideas. Not, there's some things I agree with, some things not, not so much. But the idea was that we have to reimagine how society works. And so since we were dragging our heels with the Green New Deal, COVID comes along and says, well, one way or another, <laughs> you guys are going to have to reimagine how things work. Yeah. So you're right that there is an opportunity that um, I think that I, do, I just don't want us to miss. So that, that is my gospel, I guess, more than anything. That's why myself and Dr. Mohamed Buheji uh, wrote a, a book that we were working on. Again, we were working on it around climate change and recognize that the application was the same around COVID. And so we were, our, our push now is to get people not to get uh, jittery and then want to go back to the way things were because again that ship has sailed but to get people to become brave in a brave new world and start to think more innovatively about how to create foundation and infrastructure around this new world that dropped into our lap yeah uh, so it it, it it takes a minute because you know we tend to frame change as the enemy we oh, yeah. lean negative. Yeah, as human beings, we tend to lean negative. So when we hear people talk about change, there are some parties folks won't even invite me to because, oh, here's this guy. He's going to talk about change. I don't <laughs> want to hear that. I just want to get my party on. <laughs> I mean, it happens. People just are, are, are uncomfortable with it because change has always been associated with loss in our in our society, particularly those who... Uh, are the the big winners of of all of this? You know, the folks who have accumulated wealth and acumen and and resources and stuff. They don't want to give that up, or not to say you have to give it up, but they don't want to share. Yeah. So they see that as 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 a negative. When the real opportunity here is that instead of just creating profit for a few, 
we can actually create abundance for many, but we have to think about it. We have to really think it through and we have to get the most innovative minds. And quite frankly, we have to start to talk to our indigenous uh, grandfathers and grandmothers and get their take because they knew how to live in a kind of a communal connected world as opposed to the world that we're just now getting reintroduced to connectedness. Yeah. And we, and we, we didn't, we didn't necessarily believe in that we barely knew our neighbors and, and we were distant. From I would everything. say, honestly, we're afraid of our neighbors. So, I, I mean, yeah. I feel like this, this has helped with that a lot. And I wanted to, I saw you wanted to. Well, so, um, I think we've actually talked kind of about some of the positive sides of this and some of the unique ways, but I wanted to actually touch on both the subject of the last episode that we did with you, uh, mm -hmm. which was minority communities and this specifically even, mm -hmm. you know, the black communities and, mm -hmm. and what we're seeing in the news of how this is affecting the black community, particularly negatively. Um, mm -hmm. Disproportionately. Disproportionately. Yeah. And, and how, you know, the job loss, like the sad reality there is that it's a lot of the more vulnerable population, regardless of race. Mm -hmm. But especially yep. anyone who was already in a fairly rough spot because of yeah. racial, you know, considerations and stuff. So I did want to just right. and then get the that, illness, get, yeah, and, and and talk about with yeah. how the illness is affecting them, and and when what you're kind of seeing, maybe uh, so hopefully not revising some of your hope that you had last time on the subject. No, no, actually, it's the first time that we. I think that a lot of people were sleeping on the issue of racial injustice and inequality in our society. This brings it back up, and I, but I, I recognize that they want to go back to sleep on it too, but it gives me more of a platform to push this thing forward. The fact that if we know what COVID did, it exposed the whole aspect of what happens uh, when you keep creating and pressing and, and, and redeveloping a permanent underclass, that that underclass is immediately vulnerable to any kind of challenges. So if a society really wants to become, I mean, something special, I mean, we're, if we're reimagining how society works, we cannot talk about it without first beginning with the most vulnerable people in the society. What's the old phrase that you can tell the, the strength of any society by t finding out how it treats its most vulnerable people. So the African-American community, uh, has been vulnerable in this particular position for a long time, I'd say 400 years. Uh, there was a person that came to me and said something on Facebook that said, uh, well, you know, if they would just wear their masks, uh, this, we wouldn't have these kinds of problems. But here's the, the challenge with, with that, as if somehow African-Americans were not wearing, their ma not wearing their mask at a higher rate than other communities. That was just, that was foolhardy for that person to say that. But here's the deal. The deal is that, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have, have read about what's going on with the Navajo Nation too, that yeah. they are being distinctly affected by this. Communities of color in general, Latinos out in uh, New York, because under duress, under stress and anxiety for ongoing periods of time, you already have, you're compromising that health what health that you have. And then if you are in a situation where you can't get the medical attention that you need and deserve, then you're putting that on top of the, the anxiety stuff. And then you're talking about the Western diet, which is 
of course, is the scourge of the earth, uh, the whole aspect of preservatives and all these chemicals that they put in, you can't even call it food anymore, I call it food stops, but it's cheap. And so if you're just trying to make ends meet, it make it works out for you to get food stuff as opposed to real food. So you have this, this crossroads, this conflation of all these things that come together. And yeah, I mean, you could have predicted that all the way down the line that vulnerable communities will be first affected not just because of their health, but also because of the fact that they're still in jobs that um, that immediately are directly in the bullseye of being able to do um, manual labor, being able to, um, you know, that can't be transferred online, all of those things. So my hope is this, that we're at the place where this will bring not just the attention, but the action needed because now we're going to have to look at this, not just from, oh, what do we have to do for those African-Americans or what do we have to do for those Latinos or what do we have to do for the Native Americans? But rather now we're seeing it as a nationwide thing and we need to address it as a people thing. And as long as that is at the fore, we'll be okay. The challenge that we meet is that there will be those who will go forward and say, well, it's not affecting me. Once they get to that place, then all of a sudden it becomes an issue with with the other, yeah. and that is the great threat in this in the, in uh, and where we are now. So, what I'm saying to those of you who know this that this is where we press through, well, that we have the evidence in front of us. We don't have to make the case; the case has been made for us through COVID. Mm-hmm. But we have to now take that conversation to the next level, and that is through infrastructure development. What is it like to live in a transformed world, a, a world in transition, and so that everybody can now participate in it as opposed to just the lucky few? Yeah. Well, t- there's two things that you made me think of in this when you're saying that was, one, the three populations that you mentioned, uh, the Navajo, um, the Hispanic Latino community, and the African American community, also all, all have legitimate reasons not to trust government scientists mm-hmm. or the government. And so in addition to that, um, and then Anand Garahadas, who I just adore, when this first came out, he oh, said- his book, Winners Take All. <laughs> everything about book. him. But I follow him on Twitter okay. and it's like my favorite thing. And one of the yeah, things yeah, that yeah. he said first when COVID hit was people are going to finally understand that we're only as healthy as the least cared for person in our society. Absolutely. Always. And so my hope is that from this perspective of enlightened self-interest, even those who want to go back to that sleeping place you were talking about are going to recognize that even if they can't get to, I care about this other group, maybe they can get to, I need to care enough about myself to care about this other group because it doesn't matter what color your skin is. If, Mm -hmm. if you are helping to create, as you said, an underclass of people who are then going to be more susceptible, you are eventually going to be affected. And, and honestly, they've been affected already in a, in a pile mm-hmm. of ways, but this one is just so clear, as you were saying. So right. I, I really, really have that hope too. And th- there is a place where even those who, the unaffected, and I, I'll call them that, uh, can you know want to create in their mind, like, well, it's not me. Um, we really are talking about the future of this country. Uh, it's it's much more profound than those others. 
It is about whether or not we're talking about a dystopian future, a cyberpunk kind of future where you have the elite that rest in gilded cages and gilded communities and such, or we're talking and with the masses, mm-hmm. the unwashed masses out there fighting for uh, just a, a place to be able to take a bath, or we're talking about an opportunity to finally rethink and become something really special. That opportunity has never been more vivid than it is right now. I will say, in a lot of the conversations that I've had with people, um, the way in which people have been truly exposed in how they live in their privilege right now mm-hmm. has been almost comical <laughs> at times. It's there, stunning. There's, there's stunning. you know, so many people that I deal with definitely were immediately in a place of, well, that's this is something's happening to other people. It's in a foreign yes. country. No, it's not. It's killing old people. No, it's not. It's primarily this other thing. No, it's not. Yeah. I'm rich enough I shouldn't be affected. No, you are not. <laughs> like, yes. like right. everything about this has come about to challenge any version of privilege that I have ever seen in my life. Yes, yes. And and we needed that, though, uh, because... I mean, I, I hate I to mean, agree with you on that because I wouldn't certainly yeah. wish this, but it has no, been no, very no. eye-opening. Yes. Well, you know, I got to tell you, you know, because working with climate change, has really made that become abundantly clear to me that the reason why we haven't taken bold and decisive action on climate change is because the well-to-do feel it's not happening to me and I have enough resources that I could weather the storm, that w- that's for the other people. So we already saw this even before COVID. We saw it like, oh, this is, this is the, the, the mentality, unfortunately, uh, in a lot of communities. But again, I, for those who, who still want to hold on to that space, I want to encourage you to, to think about something else. Again, there has never been a time to avoid the French Revolution and Marie Antoinette saying, let them eat cake, than there is right now. There's never been a time for us to be able to stop and say, okay, let's not let it get to that level. Let's do something. Ne- never been a time greater than right now to stop that train from riding down the tracks and say, let's create something else. Let's, what, what are the best aspects of us as human beings? What does that look like in, in, in real time form? Because we realize that we have failed our, 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 our fellow citizens. We have failed them. We have failed them around the world. We've been failing them forever, but now it's just brought to our attention. So now we can at least st- stop and say, we have the technology, if we go back, we can get some indigenous wisdom. If we look forward with visionary leadership, we can actually create something special and use this point as a turning point for all of us. But it t- takes really brave people, really courageous, really thoughtful, really uh, visionary people in order to do that. So, so what you'll start to see is some separation. What is the old football phrase? That if you know the great receivers, uh, are the ones who know how to get separation. Yep. They know they once they get to that place, they know they have separation. It's on. They know they have a touchdown at hand. Same thing here that you're going to start to see separation between the really innovative, the courageous visionary leaders, the ones that'll come out and say, Hey folks, let's use this time to reimagine how life can work. And it can work better 
than what we've been dragging our, around for the past few centuries. It can work better because we have the technology now in order to do that. Oh, and to, so to your point, I think this is the biggest time probably for activism, not necessarily beating people over the head with things, but just saying, look, no. you can see this stuff now. Right. So now we yes. can have a conversation. Well, and one of my favorite things that I've seen when Clever Things was, I sort of feel like Mother Nature just sent us all to our room to think about what we've been doing. Yes. And and I really, you know, it's a little, like Eric saying earlier, like tongue in cheek, but I also feel like there is that ability to pause or enforced pausing, and we can really kind of look at and, like you said, reflect and and maybe mm-hmm. innovate and and move forward in a more positive, more creative way. Um, so yeah, like- I'm. I'll say this: that my my concern is that some of that innovation, that innovative, creative thought uh, thought leader, visionary part, has been beaten out of us for such a long time that we don't know what create creative thought and innovation really looks like. We think it's just for organizations out in in California that are developing computers, but that's really for us in our communities that we have to be innovative. I think it's gonna come back like the Bobcats are. I think we get this like quiet time, we're gonna see the clear waters and Bobcats running around, and then we're gonna see us being creative and innovative. I will say I've seen people sitting at home right now thinking thoughts I had never thought they'd come up with and and sharing them with me. (laughs) (laughs) One thing about being at home right now, people have some time to think. Um, So maybe one more final thought or? Yeah, so just just real quick, um, kind Mm -hmm. of a quick recap on on where you kind of just see things going? I, you know, I have to say that, you know, people always ask me about the elections and I, I'm looking at the trends. I'm, I'm looking at uh, Google trends. I'm looking at uh, some of the stuff being written in, on social media. I'm looking at the, the data all across the board. And just, they always ask me about the election and I always say the same thing. It's even money. Right now, it's even money. It needs a game changer in order to, you know, increase the odds one way or another. That's the same thing we can truly say about how we respond to COVID. It's even money. There are those who want to go back and they're going to push hard because they had their life around that and they don't know of a life going forward. Other, you know, they just don't and and they're afraid. And so that's where you need the innovative, creative thought leaders who have visionary leadership that could offer that courage because without it, I understand why people become afraid of the future because nobody's articulating it in a way that people can wrap their arms around. So it right now it's even money. If a bunch of really heavy hitters, um, that's all of us go out and decide to kind of articulate what that future will be an abundant one, a sharing one, an empowered one, those, that scale can tip very easily. Well, and that's that's part of my job. Absolutely. I was going to say, I nominate you as a leader. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll add to it. I think now is a great time for everybody to just take a moment and start thinking, oh, look, all the bets are off. So what yeah. can we actually start actually thinking could change? Because, I mean, we don't even know when we're going to necessarily be out of lockdown. Um, yep. You know, we've got a president who declared himself king earlier this week and said that he was going to tell everybody what was going to happen. Then he backed off of that. And I'm, I'm, I was genuinely impressed. I've never seen him actually back down off of something quite like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm fully uh, willing to admit when I'm impressed by something, 
But this is our opportunity to really start yeah. thinking, well, if all bets are off, what can yeah. change? Well, and one of my mm. things is if you want things to be different, do them differently. You might do them badly. Yeah. You might make mistakes. You might love sure. what happens. However, the only way to actually have things be different is to do them differently. So if you're sitting around saying, and I, I, I say this a little bit chastisingly, but if you're sitting around saying, oh, it has to be this way and it's going to be this horrible, bad, and people are just this way, you are actually part of why people are just this way because you're not doing it yeah. differently. That's yeah. my two cents for today. <laughs> yeah, and I, I understand the, the chastisement that you provide, but I also want to submit too that, <laughs> I, that think. I think... I, I think we've we've been brought up in a society that that takes that that innovation and puts it in a box somewhere else. Mm. So we we haven't really had to exercise those muscles. They they've atrophied over a period of time. So I, I'm not too hard on folks, uh, at least not yet. I'll do it for you. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> you, you do that. Good cup, bad cup. I want to bring. Them up. <laughs> I'm super scary. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you covered that part. Now I'll cover the encouragement. You do that, part. yes, please, <laughs> please continue. I don't want to interrupt you. <laughs> I'll do my best. Okay. Well, thanks, Chet, for being on the show. Um, we're 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 going to continue doing some kind of these special shows uh, in the coming weeks. It feels like every day something new and unique is happening, and and our perspectives are okay. changing, and we'll we'll have some more fascinating guests, and and we're definitely looking forward to having you back, and and we'll kind of see how things are shaking out. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, um, I, I look forward to us doing uh, more of our collaborations, and um, we'll uh, we'll see where the world is in 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 short order. So the next time, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about. I, yeah, I'm sure I am we will. certain that we will. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to say thanks for listening. If you have ideas, feedback, thoughts, please find us on social media. We are by Kyrian on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can give us a call at 720-507-7309. And, of course, email us at podcast at com. And if you like what we are doing, please rate us on your listening platform of choice. Thanks. <laughs>